Recorded live. Where is it? Oh my god, where's it gone? Where's the watch? What are you talking about? You had a watch. A fog watch? Right there. Did I? I don't remember. I can't think what concern it is of yours. But we need it. God, Doctor, we're hiding from aliens and they've got Jenny and they've possessed her or copied her or something and you've got to tell me where's the watch. Oh, I see. Cultural differences. It must be so confusing for you. Mother, this is what we call a story. Oh, you complete. This is not you. This is 1913. Good. This is 1913. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, but I've got to snap you out of this. Oh! Wake up! You're coming back to the TARDIS with me! How dare, how dare you? I'm not going anywhere with an insane servant. Mark were dismissed. Leave these premises immediately. Now get out! Downtown Cardiff, where watch collector Billis Manger has just sent a PayPal payment for 25 quid to a guy in Swansea for a broken silver fob watch dating to at least Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock Live, Episode 82, Human Nature. And with me today are our regular contributors. Uh, we have Dot Skeptical. Hey, Dot. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good to have you. We have... Good to hear you. Thanks. And we have uh, Mike Duran on us, uh, with us live as well. Hey, glad to be back after missing last week. Good to have you back. And uh, Tarasnetician is with us. Good day, all. And um, Taras, you're coming all the way from, what, the Catskills today? Yes. Okay, and I think just joining us just as we just finished our intro is, um, I believe, our co-host, Mr. Ken Deep. Is that you, Ken? That is correct, sir. Good to have you. Great to be here. Good show, good show. Oh, and look, look, look! We have another, we have another host with us. We have, is this James? James, could that be you? Hello, guys. How's it going? Hey, James. Full boat today. <laughs> yeah. It's good. We weren't sure. Reason for that. It, we weren't sure if you were uh, joining us today, James. We were trying to remember if you were, um, you know, had study um, plans and didn't, um, weren't, you know, trying to well, remember. Well, how could with. I not join in uh, and talk about human nature? Just well, James, it's only human nature that you would come and join us today in this <laughs> live recording of Doctor Who Podshop because um, we were all discussing human nature, which was um, last night's. Um, BBC transmitted episode of Doctor Who, and 
what's not to like about this? I mean, I'm I just wow. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. This is Doctor Who? I mean, I really this this felt like Doctor Who. It was Doctor Who. It is Doctor Who, and uh, it just had all the ingredients were there, and uh, I just very very pleased and and uh, delighted. Um, you know, to, watching this episode, um, I, I I loved all the little nuggets that were in there that was, um, you know, p- perhaps placed there for some longtime fans, such as uh, many of the people here that are listening. Um, the whole reference to Sydney and Verity, mother and father, or I should say father and mother in that order. <laughs> uh, the Doctor's Journal, I mean, come on. <laughs> that was well, I, I love having Paul McGann in the journal. And Paul McGann, uh, it, it was, well, it was, and then uh, Peter Davison, the fifth doctor, uh, um, um, Sylvester McCoy, the, the seventh doctor was uh, could be seen. Um, I, I guess we're going to talk more about this later because um, Dave actually posted some, uh, Dave and um, also Sean Huckster, a regular Podshock listener and contributor to our forums, uh, posted some images, uh, some screen captures of that so you can really take a look at I had paused it myself because I had to take a look at it again. Uh, <laughs> we were trying to figure out some of the other faces, too. Uh, the, the one that, to me, sort of looks like Tom Baker. Others have said it was Colin Baker. I, I'm not too sure about. Um, but it's all good stuff. All good stuff. And Yeah. It, uh, this go ahead, James. completely unbelievable episode. And I think this, without a shadow of a doubt, I've only seen it once and I, I saw it today because um, I had to record it, but just seeing it once, you, I just completely was blown away by it. And I think that after last week, it's just such a turnaround for me anyway. It was because I didn't like 42 at all. And I guess everybody gathered that from the review that I gave it. But this was just, oh, you can't even, I don't even know where to start. It got absolutely everything right. All the elements were there, yeah. And just one of the things that I love about Doctor Who, in terms of the classic element, is the fact that when the cliffhanger comes around, you genuinely are like, no, I can't possibly wait a week to find out what happens. And this is one of those episodes with a proper cliffhanger, with just, you have no clue as to how the Doctor's going to get out of this sticky situation and how the story's going to progress next week. And with 42, I was constantly looking at my watch. This, I was completely astonished when, you know, the credits rolled. And I was really disappointed that I'm going to have to wait a week to, to see what's going to happen, so... Yeah. yeah. Well, then again, with 42, you knew that 42 minutes and the story's over. Yeah, and because the conference <laughs> and it kept telling down, you, even though it was ticking down, I was still looking at my watch. <laughs> well, go ahead. Ken. I uh, I absolutely love the story. I can't wait to see part two, and I'm very pleased that uh, I found an episode this season that I wanted to watch more than once. And this one, yeah. I couldn't wait to watch it again. I've watched it three times already, and I only started at 10 a.m. this morning. <laughs> wow. uh, I woke up. I want to watch it again as well. Episode, and it's been on repeat. Uh, if it wasn't for recording a podcast, it would probably be on again. 
Murray Gold, <laughs> top-notch music, the little nods. Paul, Paul Cornell rides into the rescue, by the way. Yeah. Hats uh, off to Paul. He's incredible writing. And this whole controversial episode crap from a few months ago, if you watch this episode and all you could think about is this, for those who created or tried to create that controversy, uh, put this in your pipe and smoke. Was it a whole bunch yeah. of people? <laughs> and maybe I, I guess the it uh, boycott it. didn't work because the overnights were larger than the previous week. Well, yeah, uh, we knew the boycott wasn't going to work because I mean, <laughs> we spoke about this whole thing back when it was originally, you know, this is going back a few months when this originally um, had this surge in the forums and whatnot. And not one of our feedback, because we get a lot of feedback, a lot of people call in, and we're thankful and grateful for that. We've got, we have to answer all this, so we've got a lot of backlog feedback. But the point I'm, I'm making is that not one person argued for the boycott, not one, not out of all everything that we received. Yeah. No, it and was one. Like and if he doesn't like it, he or she, they don't have to watch it. And you know what? The guy getting the last laugh is Paul Cornell because he's had the best episode this season. Yeah, absolutely. And in addition to that, there are enough changes to the story that somebody who had read the story would still be interested to see all the interesting changes that were done to uh, make the story both fit into the the series and also to to fit onto the TV screen. Well, I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that, Taras, because I had not read the story, so I, I didn't read the novel, so I, I didn't know how, what are the differences and, and if there was any contrast there. So I'm glad to hear that, um, you know, it, it is its own story in its own right as well, and it made it, yeah, you know... I think after seeing the confidential, I haven't read the book as well, but I guess that the um, the scarecrows are a new thing. They weren't in the yes. book apparently, and the kind of whole reason why the doctor had to become human wasn't explained away in the book. But was there anything else, Taris, that they had changed yeah, I, and, and modified, other ask, than the fact that it's the seventh doctor and not the the tenth? I, I was going to ask if Taras could give us the New York Times, uh, you know. Uh, we just digest? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, right now, it's been a while since I've read it, so I don't remember the details, and I've been trying to, to read the all the new adventures, so I've got a, a whole lot of those books mixed up in my memory. But the, uh, the uh, main antagonists were called the Aubertides, and here we have the family of blood, so they're kind of slightly different, and they're kind of, fitting into this theme that seems to be running through this series of bloodsuckers. So this may or may not be revealed in the next episode of what these people are, but the hint from the title, The Family of Blood, kind of uh, gives us some information. And from the... From the prologue, it seems that the doctor knows about them and knows them pretty well and is pretty terrified of them if he has to go through these extreme measures to hide from them. Yeah, I I like the fact that this story picks up in the middle or an end of another adventure where I know Dave had mentioned this once before, I think um, when when after um, Shakespeare Code and Gridlock picked up exactly where Shakespeare Shakespeare, um, Code ended, 
but this leaves a gap where other third-party stories could actually kind of fill in between uh, 42 and this story. And um, so I kind of like that fact that, you know, it wasn't told from the very beginning. Last week I had, I had gone on about the patterns and breaking the patterns, and we finally saw something that, you know, took a chance and, and, uh, and went out on a limb. Now, I wanted to ask Tarasa uh, just a couple quick questions, uh, generalizations in, in comparing uh, the book and now the episode. Uh, did the, the book take place around the, ta- the same time frame, around 19... 19- yes, it was. It's the same time frame. Uh, the cover of the book has them with the machine gun, so it's basically the same story, but there are enough elements changed that it's got enough differences to make it very interesting for somebody that has read the book and is looking for something new. And how about the the amnesia aspect of Dr. Being Human? Yes, he didn't know that he was the doctor. Okay. (laughs) Who is the companion, then? In the book, it, it was uh, Bernice. Okay. Okay. But I mean, the whole the whole mood of the episode, the, the the way I love the time frame that they had gone into. That was really really interesting, and it's a period of history that just fascinates me. And um, I just the whole mood of the episode was terrific. And for me, Martha just completely shined in this episode. Mm-hmm. I know well, on the on. web and there's a huge load of rumours going around at the moment that, that Freema will be leaving the series um, after its completion. Uh, the Sun has, has, um, has led well, a story I, I gotta, saying... I have to address this, this, this thing, because that story just broke, what, in the last 24 hours about... Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, She's not going anywhere. Uh, yeah. It, it's coming from the sun, and we know that they are the pinnacle of all knowledge. <laughs> yes. Well, our, our sponsors have a uh, story uh, on Outpost Gallifrey about uh, the BBC uh, denying that story by the sun, saying that it's rubbish. Yeah. Oh, of course it's yeah. rubbish. Even Freeman Adjman cited the story. In the story in the sun, they turn around and say that that her character isn't strong. Meanwhile, yeah, she's that's not, what she was, gets better every episode. But Yeah, that would, they would never, ever say that. The BBC would never say that an actress just... Although she was great in the beginning, she was no good now, it's not personal, see you later. The BBC would never, ever say that. Because not only does it reflect badly on the actress or actor in question, it also reflects badly on the corporation because it makes it seem like the corporation has made a, a really bad um, decision in casting them in the first place. It is so, just complete rubbish. She's terrific. And if yeah, I, I think Martha's like an ideal companion. She's just, I, I, she's intelligent. She, she she fills the role of a companion so well. It, I I can't find any fault. And she's really well, hot to do, which helps. And you guys, I do. And I'm in sorry. this episode, we also see the companion is the one that increases the uh, the predicament of the uh, the main characters when uh, she reveals to John Smith his true identity, and meanwhile we have the uh, the eavesdroppers 
picking up on uh, where the Time Lord really is. Yeah. Well, I like mm-hmm. the story. It is, uh, you know, it's really Martha who is at the forefront of saving the day. Uh, you know, and, and keeping the doctor in line and stuff, and, and you know, has knowledge of really the whole. His future is hinged on her. I mean, that that started right from the beginning with you know, do you trust me and, and all that. Um, and clearly, it shows I, that the doctor trusts her. I also, uh, I'm curious, the young boy, the the, the actor, uh, I can't say young boy, the young man, uh, who um, takes the watch, who's by the way wonderful and absolutely in uh, Love Actually and and a few other uh, films that he's been in in recently. Um, he has some premonitions prior to taking the watch, and I speculate. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out to to the Doctor Who universe in that when we get to the end of the 13th uh, Doctor, that something along these lines could easily be how they regenerate the Doctor and give him a new set of lives. That here's this boy who takes his watch and opens it up and and has all these. It's the Time Lord inside there, right inside that watch, and can do a, a body transference like the Master had done in the past. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they're going with it. I really hope there's something juicy there. Um, no. Duff, you had met you yeah. wanted to say something, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I did a little bit. Um, the. Um, the story in the sun. Actually, I think we need to be careful. I think that Alpos Gallifrey has actually um, misquoted the BBC. The BBC are not saying that uh, the idea that Freeman might be gone after the end of this series is rubbish. What they said was that the idea that she had been fired or sacked is rubbish. Right. So she could she could still be gone, but just not not rudely dismissed. If it's a creative thing from the Doctor Who production team to say that, uh, like Chris Eccleston only doing one series, having Freema only do one series, that's fine if it's creative. But this whole idea that her character is weak and we need to get rid of her, that's right. That's the credibility of the story down 100%. As a matter of fact, what they're trying to do is take a legitimate story, perhaps, of an actress wanting to leave a show or... Or that the production team, very uh, very upfront, says, "Look, we want a limited character. We want it to be special, and then we want to move forward." They're taking right. that and they're twisting it into a dirty, nasty story to sell newspapers. And yeah. you should take the sun and you should line your birdcage with it. And I know that's kind of <laughs> why the bird to that. Yeah, yeah, it's not even good enough for your bird droppings, is it? Um, Okay, I think we're getting distracted by uh, this uh, yeah. 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 piece of pseudo-journalism and not discussing <laughs> this great episode. It's only human nature that we get distracted sometimes. <laughs> right, we have to stop yeah. this time. Well, I guess that they've got people talking and, and they're selling newspapers. But for me, just the last thing that I want to say about it, yeah, stay on target, really, is um, that... I think it was really awful the way they did it, especially on the day when she was going to be, well, was indeed on Jonathan Ross, Tonight with Jonathan Ross, which is a huge um, popular talk show on Friday nights. 
and you know anybody who stays in watches it basically it's very very popular and a lot of fun so it was almost like sort of kicking her in the teeth when she's about to go on Jonathan Ross and and explain you know how what a great series it is and how much fun she's had doing it and how great she is and everything else and also we get to see her little figurine that's what Jonathan Ross likes to do and Dave's even taken some pictures and put it up on the, the forum. You know, that was really offside of the sun. To, to, to post it is fine. They want to sell papers and they want to get people talking, etc. even if it is a load of rubbish, which it probably is. But that was just annoying that they would do that uh, when she's going to be on such a popular talk show and ruin it for her. It was just really quite malicious, really, I guess. But that's it. That's all yeah. I can say. Move I think on. we should just wait and see what happens. Whatever will be, will be, you know. Yeah, exactly. Let's not Let's not just you know, jump the gun and, and let's see what happens and see how it progresses before we make a decision and say whether it's a good or a bad thing that, that uh, Prima is leaving the series, if she is. Well, let's get back to human nature. Human nature. Oh, yeah. the cost costumes were fantastic and yes. the, the the Jack Straw costumes were awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Shows, yeah. Great idea, great concept for a baddie, um, you know, they, they just take a, uh, take a, um, a scarecrow and, uh, and it comes to life, you know, and it's just, um... But this was not the scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. These were really menacing, scary-looking scarecrows. They, they, look, I, I, yeah. they did they a great job with minimally, just, you know, not using a lot of, just with the minimum materials there, really pulled it off a, a real... Scary and right looking. off the bat, what do I like about the bad guy? That he's not a big CGI clumsy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, and the CGI that was in this story was very minimum. I mean, it didn't overpower the story. It was, you know, the, the invisible spacecraft. They did excellent. Um, the, 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 you know, some of the, um, I think the watch it had some glow or whatever. Some, you know, in, nuances there, but yeah, really the, most the, most of it was in the, the background and. Scene just there for storytelling. And you also had the possession scene where the green cloud... Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, the yeah, guns, of course. Uh, some certain touches, perhaps, from um, uh, a War of the Worlds feel as well in in um, in the, the meteorites or the, the, the ship coming down mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being oh, off yeah. in the distance and it's out in the field. Yeah. Little nods to H.G. Wells, which well, anytime Doctor Who... Takes a nod to, to H.G. Wells, you know you're in good shape, uh, except for I was time lashes. Okay. Thinking the same thing as well. <laughs> oh, time lash rub again. <laughs> I think the the, the, the nod to Verity Lambert and to. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. One time, his father's fantastic. name was Sidney. I I I I was such a big grin on my face because I knew exactly who they were talking about and and what the you know the reference was for. And then when. When then when he went to set his mom it was his mother was Verity I was like oh my god yeah. this is excellent but we should explain for perhaps people who are who are new to Doctor what that is about and the, what the reference is about I guess yeah well yeah. Sidney Newman was um, we wouldn't really be here doing this podcast if it wasn't for Sidney Newman because it was Indeed. basically his idea to do this um, show about a traveling eccentric uh, time traveler that traveled in time and space. And uh, back then it was um, more or less a going to be an educational series where 
through the travels going back in history, you could educate people about history. And then in the future, you could educate people about science. So it kind of covered both areas there. And that's where Doctor Who really had its beginning. And uh, its first producer who, uh, who spearheaded the, the program was uh, Verity Lambert, who uh, is well known in television circles in the UK as being one of the um, prominent female uh, producers of the time that's come out of um, television history. And this was basically she was put in charge of Doctor Who, and um, this was... Um, well, it, was a, it, was a, it was a very bold move uh, to be the, have the first you know, uh, woman producer uh, and a young producer at that, you know, someone who was uh, relatively inexperienced at producing the show. But the show was considered to be a throwaway, and both Newman and Verity Lambert still took the show seriously. And here we are, four and a half decades later, still yeah, watching but, and- and a significant nod, of course, of Verity Lambert on the uh, dawn of the second female producer to be on Doctor Who, uh, yeah. as Susie Liggett takes over from uh, Phil Collinson, at least temporarily. Yes. And she uh, kept forward. Oh, we had Julie Gardner as well. Oh, well, that's well, executive as, producer. As executive producer. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, but on a, in a day-to-day production status, yes. It's just one, I mean, everything you could... The details were right for for classic fans and, and the uh, you know this, uh, just a strong presence for this season. Finally, uh, something that's bold and different and and pattern breaking. And uh, next week, the previews for next week with um, seeing the, the the bridal dress and and having, the doctor having a bride, reminiscent of uh, uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service uh, for James mm-hmm. Bond fans. You know, that there was, there was, there's a moment about that that is different than every other James Bond movie. Well, that's going to be next week. It's going to be a moment different than every other Doctor Who story for 44 years now, and that'll be next week. And I have to say that um, in the past, I've always said that you know that the romance romances in the show really should be you know relegated to the companions and not so much on the Doctor's side. And um, that's why I always said. That's why I always said that, um, you know, with with Martha's um, infatuation with the Doctor, that it's, it's an unrequited love, and that's okay as long as it's not returned in, by the Doctor. But here, I had no, no problems whatsoever with the because it's, it was um, John Smith. It's, it's really, it, was, have, it was John Smith having a romance, not the Doctor, and mm-hmm. I had no problems with it whatsoever. And by the way, uh, kudos to David Tennant. Uh, for just being absolutely extraordinary through the entire episode, uh, playing the, the the bumbling young man vibe and the you know not really sure what to do and falling down the stairs and all that stuff was just perfectly on target, perfectly on target. Mm-hmm. There's just so many great things about this episode. I mean, usually our podcasts are rambling and kind of. We just like to have a chat, but with this, there's just so much that you can talk about and so many ways you can just pick out parts of the, this episode that were just absolutely fantastic and brilliant and, and unbelievable, and really. The, the young actor, the young, um, the, the, um, I, again, I don't know his name offhand, but Ken was speaking of him earlier. His he reminded was me. called Tim, right? I don't know about Tim? the actor, but I think his character okay. was called Tim. Yeah, the character is Timothy. Me. 
a bit of David Tennant in his looks. He looked well, more like um, a love title of David Tennant and John Hurt, perhaps, and maybe a little John <laughs> in <Inman> the past. <laughs> Do men have children? <laughs> hey, Time Lords, you know, they, they wove them or something, you know. And, and that uh, Rube Goldberg-esque scene with the uh, saving the, the uh, baby from the falling piano was just a nice touch there, a nice comedic element in the middle of this uh, serious scene. And, mm. and then he turns around after that and feels the courage to ask, um, to, to ask uh, the matron out to the dance. And by the way, uh, I don't know if anybody caught last week's uh, Family Guy uh, here in the States, but we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're suddenly going to a lot of time travel dances, a la Back to the Future lately with uh, Peter going back in time, and then this week uh, going back to the dance to you know, get his, uh, his wife not to, uh, to marry his uh, friend or whatever. And now this week we are going to the dance, the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. So okay. you think Martha's going to introduce people to the, to the Charleston or something? <laughs> <laughs> but the whole scene with the piano I thought was great as well because he used a cricket ball to do it, which is also kind of a nod to the fifth doctor. As well, and the fourth. And the fourth, yeah. indeed. Uh, yeah, I've, I've read somewhere that actually somewhere at the very end of this episode, David Tennant surpasses Peter Davison for total number of minutes as doctor or something like that. So, it, I mean, it's probably entirely coincidental. I, don't, I doubt they track that kind of thing. But it's another, it's another interesting little detail in the episode. Ken has a spreadsheet about on-air time with the doctors. I'm sure you can compare notes with Ken. Yeah. <laughs> really well, no Ken's not the only one with a spreadsheet like that. What's that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thomas Sangster is a young man's name who uh, who plays... Um, okay. Because I know he's been in Love Actually, but that's all about I recognize him from, really. Um, no, he's been in, a, in in quite a few things. Nanny McPhee, um, uh, he was in a, a, an excellent miniseries called Hitler, The Rise of Evil, um, the one about Hitler as a young man and, and the, some of the things that led to You know, most of the time when they make a movie about Adolf Hitler, it's usually right in the middle of World War II and what he was up to. And, and, and it was the first time someone had explored um, Hitler as a young man. What, what were the motivations? What were the things that drove him to be this this maniacal leader, um, and it was a bit controversial when it came out, but he was uh, he was in that as well, and he's been in, in quite a number of things, and 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 making a name for himself, and rightly so because he's doing great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, a great actor. I, I also have to say that the the um, the older student who first got possessed, if you will, they, they. He, when when he like clicks his head and tilts his... I mean, he's scary without any makeup. <laughs> yeah, just with the eyes and the smirk. Yeah, wow. That's just like... <laughs> I don't want to get an eyesight. Even the whole sniffing thing is just really creepy and odd. So I like that. A lot of people on the board seem to think that he was a bit annoying, but I personally really liked his character. And also his mate... Um, whose name escapes me, but they, they yeah, the, play the, racist all, guy. the role of public uh, school boys very, very well. And may, yeah, oh, the casting of not. everybody in this episode was just spot on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 
Uh, we haven't even mentioned um, the, Martha's friend, uh, her cleaning friend. She was mm-hmm. brilliant. The way she switched from being this bubbly, lovable character to this really <laughs> evil, possessed, four-letter word was just... I, I, you know, yeah, I mean, this the acting eyes, in this some makeup on or something. Yeah, yeah. the was great, of course. The eyes, I think, was the only thing that they changed. They kind of had this sort of droopy eye like they had been staying up too long or something. I don't know, not had enough coffee. But um, she was just great as well. I can't, can't remember her character. Was it, did it begin with a J or something? Julie or... I can't remember I now. I only saw it once myself yeah. so far, but it's an incredible story. I, will, I want to remind all our listeners that are listening live to please put yourself in the queue um, if you're using, well, the TalkCast client, you'll have, the TalkShoe client. Uh, it's in the upper left-hand corner, and uh, we want to hear what you have to say about this story, too. So uh, please put yourself in the queue. I want to One of the things that I remember from the novel now, now that uh, we've been talking a bit, was yeah. that uh, Benny and the doctor had gotten separated and the uh, antagonists in the story were trying to fool Benny by having a future incarnation of the Doctor appear to uh, to mislead her. And it was the tenth Doctor at the time that they were trying to impersonate. Wow! So that's oh, like okay. a little interesting tidbit there. Yeah. But before we get everybody else on, do do is there anything else that we want to address, or shall we give it uh, our, our ratings? Because we've been doing uh, that one for about half an hour, I guess, and we need to <laughs> let everybody else uh, be heard. So I have a little question. It's mm-hmm. nothing that big, but uh, um, just to compare it to other episodes this season, um, why do you think it is that we accept the scarecrows as being sort of unabashedly good? Uh, baddies, but yet the pigmen in the earlier Dalek story were bashed even at the outset of just having seen the first episode of that two-part arc. There's not that much difference. They're both sort of unexplained monsters that don't really make a whole lot of sense why they suddenly are animated. So why is it that we like these better than the earlier ones? Well, I think a better comparison would probably be these scarecrows to the possessed uh, people on 42, in that in 42 they tried to put in some elements of explanation that really didn't make sense, while here we didn't have any real explanation as to why they're using scarecrows and why they're animated. Well, I, I think the other thing is that the pigmen, what got in the way with the pigmen was there was no explanation why they were made into pigs. Why, why pig and not something else? Or um, so I, I think that just maybe got in the way of being of frightening people. You know, was why pigs? You know, and whereas uh, scarecrows, hence the, the name itself, scarecrow. <laughs> they're scary to begin with. <laughs> and, and I think that the, the scarecrow blends in with the era that the story is being told, where the pigmen hmm. just seemed a, a, an out-of-place monster for um, uh, what, what amounts to be a great setting for... Uh, you know, the Daleks should have been the thing out of place in the, in the 30s New York. That was enough to be out of place, but then to throw the pigmen in on top of it. When they easily right. could have made them robo-men, which would have been 
A, human beings being taken over, and B, a nod to the, the Cushion movies. And we know yeah. that. Yeah. Well, but that would have conflicted two, with the Dalek army that we yeah, see later on in the story. And, when we and the Pikmin were more of an analog to the Ogrons to do the yeah. dirty work for the Daleks that so they, they cannot they, do. Yeah, yeah I, well, I, I could have used Ogrons. <laughs> I love the scare. They may not have been able to secure the rights. <laughs> Hang on one second. There's somebody trying to somebody who's So that was me. That's Mike. Um, I love the scarecrows in this one. But to answer Darth's question, I also really liked the pigmen. I thought the pigmen were one of the best things about Daleks in Manhattan. So I think the scarecrows are better and make more sense, but I think both are really effective, creepy, uh scary monsters that, that don't require a ton of a uh, ton of effects to, to perfect and a lot of it comes down to the the excellent work that's gone into the movement, the the actors inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I tend to agree with you, uh, Mike. I, I I do think that the scarecrows, the movement of the scarecrows, really sells it as well. Like you know, and that they would say certain things about when you first see them, and he turns his head or he waves or something, and and then <laughs> the man goes over and he puts his hand right through it, and he realizes something's wrong here. You know, this is not a student prank. Mm, and then there's loads of them all of a sudden, which is just like. Classic Doctor Who in a way. And I'm gonna take really the. And creepy. I'm gonna take the lead and give my review right off the bat and give it five stars. Period. Stars? What are stars? I'm sorry, five stars. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna agree with Ken. Five from me. <laughs> I, you know, what I can't say anything in a review that hasn't already been said. There's something to be said for just sheer enjoyment, and I've always um, my rewatch value says a lot to me, and I can't wait to watch this again. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to echo. I, 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 haven't, I can't remember the last time I gave five TARDIS drones, and, um, you know, I, I know I did it for The Empty Child and Doctor Dances, and to me this has that similar feel to it, and I, I, I have to give it five TARDIS drones as well, and I really enjoyed it, and um, I think, you know, I, we've already touched upon everything that made it great, and um, so five TARDIS drones here. I, I'm I probably given out five in between that, you know, in between Empty Child and Doctor Dance. But that's the last time I that comes. That's a thing that comes to my mind. Though. And you know, it's funny that you mention that because we haven't even made the comparison about the dancing and the Doctor dancing and and Very the whole. You know, do you know how to dance? The little mm-hmm. you know. is such a dancer. Oh, and and the and the little girl with the balloon. It brought me back to um, you know the the Sylvester McCoy era with with that um, was that um, was it one of the Dalek stories um, Revolution. Remembrance. 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 And and the musical cue kind of like was evocative of that uh, particular story with the theme from the little girl what? in that story. Okay, so I, I was trying to remember. I remember the. In a Sylvester McCoy story, that they used the, you know, the like the uh, music box. Um, I couldn't remember the story, but if, if you, I'll I'll take it on on Taris's word that if he says it's remembrance, that it is. <clears throat> so uh, let's go down the line, um, James. Your Tardis drones. Five. I completely echo what Ken has said. Um, and yourself, brilliant, utterly brilliant. Can't wait next week. Um, and it's one of those, um, I think it's the only two-parter that I would, so far, that I have given five on the first episode, because usually I'm kind of like, 
well. I want to see how it evolves. But this, I really don't care. Everything was absolutely spot on. Dave yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. AC is, is asking me, what about the science? How do I feel about the science? Um, this, I thought that there was everything was spot on. Everything was believable. Okay, the scarecrows was a bit of a stretch, but this is going to the sort of artistic license. Um, the scarecrows in themselves are a fantastic monster, just as the monsters from Forty Two, the kind of whole possession thing was also very good I, um, I and very scary. But I, I was willing to kind of... Part one, this strong, it would take a heck of a lot to really knock the story down. I'm not saying that the second part couldn't be a step backwards a little bit or not as strong as the first part. That's happened before. But it yeah, would take I, a hell of a lot for it to outright be terrible. It would take a yeah. lot. A heck of a lot, because the first part... The Candyman so from Happiness strong. Patrol would have to show up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's wrong with Nobody the Candyman? Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> <laughs> the Candyman knows. So, um, all right, so, uh, Darth. Uh, well, I'm going to reserve judgment. I'm not giving it anything yet. Uh, okay. I've been burned by I've been burned by Paul Cornell before, and I'm going to be burned again. Uh, I think <laughs> I ju- I don't trust him. It looks good from the outset. It looks really good, but I do not trust Paul Cornell as a storyteller. I don't know why. I just Father's Day totally overrated. Um, but it's good. It's really good. It's a landmark episode. Whatever else happens, you've got to say that it's a landmark episode because if it does nothing else in the world, it establishes to every Doctor Who fan that Paul McGann was the goddamn doctor. Sorry for the swearing, but still. <laughs> well, that's true because there, there, there's those out there that still go with, the, the, oh, well, he's not the real doctor or whatever, and that's not, it, you know, canon or whatever. This story is very much a nod to Paul McGann in that Paul yeah. McGann's doctor was the first to develop the human nature. Right. This element yeah. that, that he may not be purely Gallifrey. So you think yeah. this chameleon arch, maybe Paul McGann, the, 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 um, the ace doctor somehow, um, th- that apparatus looks kind of similar to what we saw in the video movie, by the way. I was saying that before we started recording. Um, I think there's a definite tie between the Paul McGann movie and the story. Absolutely. And if we get... Um, and, and Paul Cornell on the line, I will ask him that. And he was the most prominent uh, doctor in that journal. That was his right, right in the middle. Dead so center. I think it was a definite Dead nod center. to him. And I think there's something to that. I'm hoping, I'm so hoping that there is something actually to that. That somewhere down mm-hmm. the line, David Tennant wants to take a vacation for two weeks, and suddenly <laughs> here comes... Paul and Lucy, and there we go for a flashback episode. But That would be fantastic. I, uh, to me, that was one of the highlights of the episode. I think that there are a lot of very interesting things that are going on that we really haven't talked about yet. Like, why is the interior of the spaceship for the aliens similar in architectural design to the TARDIS? If you really go back and look at it, it's re- they came off the same factory run. There's something weird about that, which is interesting. Um, all the little the cricket ball stuff was delightful. Um, David Tennant has never been better. It, it's a really, really good episode, but I just don't know that I can trust it. 
He's yeah. putting the skeptical and yeah. skeptical. Uh, he's yeah. yeah. <laughs> For once, I, I don't know. Um, there's just something about me. And it's weird because, you know, I am maybe this season's biggest champion, I think. I, I feel like I am a lot of times when I'm here because I've not found anything really terrible about that much that's gone on this season. Um, and, in fact, this is so far my favorite season, but I, I don't know what it is. I'm going to challenge you, Doss, on this for one second. I want to ask you, you've, answered, you've reviewed it intellectually. I want you to review it from inside, being a longtime Doctor Who fan, from the heart. What do you think about the story? Did you enjoy it? I think it's, I think it's something for a Doctor Who fan. I don't think it goes into that much new direction. It basically is it's metafiction. It's not just fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I mean, I'm, but I'm a Doctor Who fan. But as as a as also a film fan and a fan of good fiction, I, something tells me if you're not a Doctor Who fan, you're not going to like this as much as you would like other episodes like Girl in the Fireplace or like uh, um, Tooth and Claw or other. Even 42, I think, works better to a general audience than this thing will. Um, but it's perfectly appropriate in season three. I mean, there are n- there's not enough backstory that's been developed just in the RTD era that you can this thing parses well for you if you've been there from the start. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be a downer because I'm not suggesting it's a bad episode in any way, shape, or form. I just um, you're reserving judgment. Yeah, it's just it's not as original to me as it, it could, be. could be. Right. Yeah. Somehow. But it's great. Well, I loved it. I'll watch it I, again. I'm, I, I know in the confidential, Paul Cornell said, a, you know, referred to it as a universal story, and, and I, I find that element in it as well. That you know, some of it we've seen before, but I, I still felt it was still fresh enough, and um, enjoy, I, I still enjoyed it. You know, funny we we talked a little bit about Paul McGann, and I and uh, one of the other things that I uh, I will echo that Dark Skeptical mentioned about well, it now uh, canonizes. Um, Paul McGann's doctor. I also want to make um, a nod that this is the first time in the new series that we've actually acknowledged the past doctors beyond yeah. uh, dialogue. I mean, we actually physically see them. And I thought I had mentioned this in the past that in Rose there was a golden opportunity yeah. um, to that show the past doctors, and they didn't. And they finally did it. It took two and a half seasons to pull it off. I think yeah, and I love that. Some some confidence that. Uh, that maybe they didn't have the, the power or the confidence to do that back at the start of the first series, but by yeah. the middle of the third series, they can acknowledge the history of the show and not worry that it's going to confuse the people that weren't along for the ride back then. Well, I think yeah, after I, two and a half years, you know, younger viewers, newer viewers, maybe they hit the website, maybe they've done a little reading or a little bit of research, and now they realize there is, you know, that, like you say, there's enough now that, has been established, and, and people who are curious about it may have explored it by this point. Yeah, bravo. There's even time. like a letter in the most recent Doctor Who magazine about uh, a kid who discovered Doctor Who from Series 2, an 11-year-old, and now he's graduated to Doctor Who magazine, and he's asking for advice where to start in viewing <laughs> the old Doctors and whether it's worth it. Well, well, Lewis, uh, Lewis was here at, at my home yesterday, and um, I'm having a few friends over next weekend who, are, who have been turned on to Doctor Who from the new series. 
and we're having a little viewer choice marathon on classic episodes. And this is this again also echoing what we're talking about. They're now saying to me, knowing that I'm a longtime fan, we want to see some older stuff. Pick a few things, uh, show us a few other doctors, and you know, let us learn about the history of the show. And that's this is that's just an example of probably what's going on around the world with people who are classic fans and have been fans for a long time. But the uh, current production team doesn't need to be inhibited by this. They, they should embrace it, and I don't think it's going to alienate viewers at all. I mean, I, I was introduced with Doctor Who uh, while it had a pretty much a 20-year history. I mean, my first Doctor was the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, and I just rejoiced in the fact that there were other Doctors before him, and, and I didn't know anything about them, and it was just new material for me to digest when I could, and um, and I love that it had this past history to draw upon. Well, wait, and I will, I'll defend the current production team in that when you discovered Doctor Who, there was there was material uh, to research it available in in the form of magazines and books, and you could have figured out that something else was going on. There was such a hiatus between um, the the McCoy run, and I'm not disrespecting Paul McGann, but it was just too short a period for a you know a two hour movie. Um, there was such a break in regular transmission of Doctor Who that a lot of material uh, or, or this understanding could have a lot of water under the bridge. Yeah, and but can the VHS tapes were out there? There's still I, you can't. I, okay. There's still so much material that from the classic series still available. It was. It's not like it was encased in a time vault and sealed away I, somewhere. Also in the, in the Genesis arc. The nod to uh, Sidney Newman and, and Verity Lambert, uh, I wanted to ask Lewis this after, after seeing it, uh, perhaps a bit of a nod to those um, sketches from Doctor Who night? <laughs> Could be. Yeah. <laughs> Lewis just says, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. well in, cool. just by referencing their names? I, uh... No, but the, the, the whole, there's a, there was a whole meeting going on there and... and, and I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with it. <laughs> no, but I think most people aren't really aware, unless you're a hardcore Doctor Who fan, of who uh, sort of Sidney Newman is. Or you might know his name, might be aware of him. And I think for a lot of fans, it was almost sort of their first exposure to the guy, um, which is sort of rare, really, in, in the creator of a television series, particularly one that you're a big fan in. Um, so I thought I think that that was a the the whole. Well, it's, it's up on YouTube, and I think that, that Lewis has put a link onto it onto the website on the the, the tapping story, right, about uh, John Sims oh, yeah. and Mr. Sachs and tapping. Um, that that was a... I think that it was something that was subtle and nice, and the older fans of the show will, of course, have, have recognised it immediately. But it's nice... Again, the, the the production team, they're taking the time and the thought and the effort. They could have just given anybody's name there. They could have thrown in anything, and it Bring wouldn't it have mattered. Bring Stewart or something. And... Yeah, but the, the fact that they chose to um, have Verity Lambert and Sidney Newman as his mother and father was just terrific and inspired. So. I think it was a great nod to Verity as well. I, I mean, Sydney's a natural since, you know, basically it was his um, creation, his idea of Doctor Who, but, um, you know, it's, it's great that Verity got her due as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to yeah. check. I don't 
I don't recall, but it may actually be in the novel that he mentions those names as his parents' names. Really? I, I, I'll have to look that up. And i got to tell you, Paul Cornell uh, has a stroke of, of, of George Lucas-like marketing genius, and then now uh, sales of his book are going to skyrocket because every Doctor Who fan is going to be curious to read it. It's out of print, and you have to find it on eBay or some old booksellers, because uh, when Virgin lost the license, all those books went out of print. That's a damn shame. It's also on the website. Not anymore. They took it down. Oh, so, oh, they well, they'll, they'll probably put it back up after the uh, episode airs next week. They shouldn't. They so should they republish it. Out from All right, Mike, Mike, um, we haven't heard your Tardis Bronze. No, uh, wow, obviously I like this one. Um, I'll say right off the bat, I, even though last time there was a two-parter, I didn't want to give uh, a rating for the first part, but yeah, it's going to be five out of five. Um, yes. So without a doubt, if I could give more than five out of five, I would do that. Giving it one more, just one more point than the, the sort of my second favorite episode of the series just isn't enough of a gap. Um, all, all through this series, I mean, I think series three has been good. Uh, there's been uh, one or two mediocre episodes, uh, I felt, uh, actually maybe even one bad episode and a mediocre episode, and then some good, but nothing great. There's nothing that has blown me away. And so I had huge expectations. Every week, uh, whatever I thought of the episode, I was still almost counting down for episode eight. I was really looking forward to, to this episode and you mm-hmm. scroll back on these podcasts, and I think I, I keep saying it. I can't wait for episode eight. Yeah, you had mentioned that in the past <laughs> now that you bring and it up. I, really? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> it fully met my expectations. And, I mean, I think people know I'm a big fan of Paul Cornell's writing. Uh, Human Nate, uh, sorry, uh, Father's Day is, you know, probably my favorite episode. Of, it's one of my favorites as well. Yeah, and uh, he wrote my favorite Sorry, Don. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of his writing. Uh, he, this episode doesn't disappoint, even though I had such high expectations. And, and it, it just does everything well. It's, it's another great example of even though I mean, you've got David Tennant there, but it's not really the Doctor, and the Doctor is made stronger by his absence. He has a, mm-hmm. has the whole, mm, yeah. it's almost bigger than you know the hole he fills uh, when he is there, and that, and, and, and I guess in, in, in almost in seeing his humanity, in seeing him as a human, you see how unhuman the, the Doctor really is, uh, mm-hmm. in the way uh, John Smith acts. Uh, just mm-hmm. wonderful. Characters, it hits on every cylinder. I can't think of a single thing that I was. Oh, I wish they'd done that differently. Not, not a, not a casting move. So in a way, it almost exceeded your expectations. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, much sitting there waiting for something to, to let me down, and, and it didn't happen. And uh, I'm, you know, I hope, uh, hope I'm not too pumped up that you know the next week I end up getting let down. But wow, <laughs> what a um, terrific. To me, symbolizes Doctor Who on almost you know, every possible level. It has everything that I think Doctor Who should or could have in an episode. Yeah, I'm even tempted to watch it again after this, uh, yeah. doing this podcast, but I think I will if I can uh, yeah, steal the television. Yeah, for, for me, it's the first time too that I really, absolutely want to go and watch it again. I admit, last yeah. week I rewatched 42 because I didn't really like it the first time, and I wanted to watch it again to try and give it a fair shot after I'd seen mm-hmm. it again the next day and, and you know, improve my opinion of it. But there I was just I was trying to, trying to up my opinion. Here, here I, just, mm. I want to watch it again. 
Right. Yeah. For enjoyment's sake. Perfect. Yeah. Roll on next week. Yeah, savor it and rewatch it, and maybe there's even more um, of the bits to the older fans because uh, there are a few that have been mentioned that I didn't uh, I didn't pick up on. So. I think so. I think it's an episode, the kind of episode that's going to keep giving. I think uh, it's yeah. viewing for quite a while. It's going to you're going to see new dimensions and good little things to to appreciate. Yeah. There's no doubt that I'm going to like it even more the second time. Mm-hmm. So, I don't rewatch a lot of these stuff. No, I know. It's your general rule of thumb is that you don't rewatch them, at least not right away. Yeah, there's still a lot of episodes I've only ever seen once, certainly from most of the third series and some of the second series. So, mm-hmm. so uh, Taras, I know you don't give Tardis Grown ratings, but uh, you can give I'll us your overall. I'll have to say that so far this is the episode I've enjoyed the most this series, mm-hmm. and I was worried that with the high expectations that I had for this story, as was mentioned before, that it would be a letdown, but not only did it meet my high expectations, it actually exceeded them. And uh, that's very difficult to do when you have such high expectations to actually exceed them. And I think that both the the writing and the production of this episode was just top-notch. It's like, this is what we should have had in Doctor Who for years, this type of storytelling yeah. and this type of high production values with enough mix of humor without being slapstick. It, it's just, this is what's the best of Doctor Who. Aside mm-hmm. from falling down the stairs, but of course. That was yes, but that, but for me that worked. It wasn't dopey. It wasn't yeah, it, there it just did work. Laugh. Of course, it, it was the typical yeah. absent-minded professor. So it's yeah, like yeah. the whole um, the the thing that sort of cries out for me from the previous series, which I liked, but I thought it was forced, was um, in terms of slapstick humor. Although nothing stupid happens, is when the doctor um, in Smith and Jones, when the doctor has to shove that radiation out through his foot. That just seemed kind of force, and it just was a way of getting him to do a stupid dance. But this, yeah, way out that. yeah, I'm not uh, being critical of it. I just uh, was putting that out. <laughs> All right, well, very good. We're going to go to uh, people waiting in the well, queue. One, one additional oh, thing that I oh, wanted no. I'm to sorry. say: uh, how Robert Shearman's uh, retelling of Jubilee in Dalek legitimize mm-hmm. Big Finish as a source for Doctor Who stories. I think this two-parter will do the same for people for the Virgin New Adventures as a source of finding stories for, for the Doctor Who universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bring absolutely. some legitimacy to, to those stories. If not, bring them into the canon for, for some people, but at least legitimizing them as a source for stories in the Doctor Who universe. And and now that we spoke that we said that the Virgin novels are unfortunately not available anymore, that makes it even more so important that this story was told in a uh, television episode you know, format so that uh, it would be a shame for this story to go wasted, where not wasted, but where people don't have access to it anymore. Now, pe- now fans and uh, that weren't familiar with, hadn't read that book, can enjoy this story. So, uh, more power to you, more power to the production team, and and to us as fans, as to, that we get to enjoy these stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's possible that the number of people that have read the story is probably in the tens of thousands, while you had 
over 7 million people watched this on uh, Saturday night in uh, mm-hmm. the UK. So, yeah, absolutely. Reached a much wider audience. Okay, so um, we're going to get to uh, the people that are waiting in the wings and for our live feedback segment here, and starting off with Raul D. And hello. Are you there, Raul? Hey, guys. Hey, how you doing? Hey. Where are you calling from hey. once again? I know you're a regular here. Yeah, I'm calling from Chicago. Good to have you back on Doctor Who Podshock Live. So what did you think uh, of human nature? How fantastic was that episode? Yeah. Uh, we all, I don't know. We all have like sour grapes on it. We really didn't think it was that great. It almost, it almost felt like I was watching an episode of Masterpiece Theater. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just so yeah. amazing. I mean, the whole pacing and the the music and the costume. The only thing that was missing was Helena Bone and Carter to show up at the end there. She almost seems like she's in every Masterpiece Theater episode. But um, and you know how awesome was Jessica Hines as the nurse? Yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Is that amazing? We didn't have any criticisms. No, I mean, I thought she felt she fit in perfectly in, as the nurse, and you know, I really loved her when she was in space, and mm. she really fits in this kind of role. But stupidly, um, interestingly, um, I was completely surprised um, when I saw her on the screen because when I read the credits uh, for, for the upcoming episodes, I know her as Jessica Stevenson. Right, right. I believe she got married recently and therefore changed her name. So I, I was completely surprised and pleasantly so, of course, that uh, that she was on the, the series. And, of course, um, she's a huge collaborator with Simon Pegg, who played uh, uh, the editor uh, yeah. in, um, in The Long Game. So for me, it was just great to see her on screen, and she... It fulfilled the role perfectly, I think. Uh, like like we said in before in the podcast, I think everyone who was cast was just superb. Just, you know, I can't imagine anybody else playing those roles, really. Mm-hmm. Right, and, I, you know, I also think uh, the actor who played the, the kid that took the, the watch, I think mm-hmm. we're going to learn more about him in the next episode. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Catch, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I don't, it just seems like he has some kind of connection there with, you know, I don't with the doctor mm-hmm. somehow mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, it's um, kind of puzzling as well. His whole premonition things. I hope that gets uh, sort of explained. Yeah, yeah and, the whole, and the whole, you know, the, the the little part where he runs into Martha and it flashes back to the future. Where, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's really shaping. Well. Next week is really shaping up to to be, you know, hopefully another. Another legendary episode. Yeah. And we should we should enjoy the next six days. Is always how I feel when we're in this. Mm-hmm. What we live for. This is what it's about being a Doctor Who fan and having the show back on the air. This is what it's all about. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. this makes a good case for having more two-parters. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, it's you know the the pacing is right with two-parters and there's more story behind it. The character it's better. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I mean, I know the season is 13 episodes long, but they, I think they need to fit in two more, 
two more two-parters, or they need to make the series lo- the episodes longer, which I don't know they're going to do, but I think two-parters is, is the way to go from now on. They, but, they could be all two-parters and then have one three-parter, and you, that would make up the 13. Yeah, yeah, we could do, they could do that too as well. Because, um, you know, to, to me it just seems like the two-parters are light years ahead of the standalone episodes, at least for most of them. Mm-hmm. Well, the production value... Um, the, the, the uh, it seems like the, the game is raised when they do the two parters. Plus, like you were saying, there's more time to flesh out the characters, and and, and I enjoy a cliffhanger. <laughs> oh yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's like Doctor Who, right there. Yeah. That in itself is reason enough to have a, a two parter. Uh-huh. Right. So I'm pretty I'm pretty much going to give this a five groans out of five. Like Good man. Else. Good <laughs> James, good man. He's like, <laughs> well, everybody has loved it. You know, this is just it's, it's oh, the I, most I, I, really. No one I, has been the signing cow. I think it's funny as uh, not the only one running for election apparently. Apparently James <laughs> is running for something. <laughs> <laughs> you know like what's the, funny uh, is uh when I was watching like the episode the Prime Minister this time around. You know, when I was watching the episode with my brother, who's not a big Doctor Who fan, who just happened to be in the room when I was watching it, he got he got very caught up in it, but he had no idea that it was a two-parter. So when the cliffhanger happened, he was screaming at my TV. <laughs> yeah, Sean was the same. Sean Hookster, a regular contributor, was saying on the forums that he did the you know the classic Darth Vader. No, sort of <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, I had no clue it was a two-parter until I spoiled it for him. four days ago, and, and Lewis got me on it. And and um, and you know, I, I, um, didn't it didn't change my my enjoyment of the episode. But but now hearing a few people saying that they didn't realize it, it, it I would have been looking at at the time on the uh, you know the running time, and I would have been like, wait a minute, how are they going to fix this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, oh crap! <laughs> All right, so I'll, I'll bow out here. Let everybody else talk, chime in. Thanks so much, Ronald. Good holiday so for everybody. Thanks. Cheers, mate. Okay, bye. All right. All right. Next, we're going to uh, Wes. So, um, hey, Wes. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Are you, hey. are you calling from Florida? Yeah. So, what work. did you think of human nature? Um, this is. The first two parters since the uh, empty child, where I feel like I could actually give a a TARDIS grown rating halfway through, mm-hmm. and I give it a five too. I mean, this is the actually the first time since Rose, where when I was watching it, I felt as giddy as I used to get when I was watching it on PBS. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, it's just kind of hey, it's a cool episode, but this time I was really just jazzed to see it. Plus, I'd read the book too, so I was really also, pleasantly surprised. How, how do you feel it compared to the book? Um. It was very, to me, close enough in storyline to to enjoy it from me reading the book. But, you know, the other one was kind of tailored to Sylvester McCoy's character a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like they really, really, it wasn't like they just slotted in a doctor and wrote the story around it. It was like it felt like it was written for um, David Tennant. So I was really pleasantly surprised. Cool. So the, it's nice that um, it didn't, the fact that the book was a seventh Doctor novel didn't, impede the storyline in any way because I guess when you watch something like that when you've read the book you would hate to be constantly thinking back to the doctor in question that the novel was about that would be terrible I think but um, right but one thing yeah. I didn't do is go back and reread it before I saw this so that it, you know 
it wasn't that mm-hmm. fresh on my mind, so I think yeah. I was able to enjoy it a lot more because of that. Now I'm probably yeah. going to reread the book. <laughs> yeah, I would I'm have curious. to concur with that. Yeah, I yeah if, if anyone has a copy, can you send me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, email it to me. Yeah, email it to me. I'm curious if the price has gone up on eBay by a, <laughs> um, <laughs> a large amount. Airs, I'm going to be curious to see uh, people like myself who hadn't read the book prior to seeing the episode, uh, how they would view the book seeing the episode first. And, it, you know, sometimes when you read the book and then you see a movie, you're always thinking back to the book and the movie never lifts up your expectations, rah, 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 says boom, bah. But what about the other way around? After seeing the episode, does the book still challenge you? Is the book still enjoyable? Or do you think the episode is better? So I'm going to be curious. We're going to have to have a postscript on this down the line, you know, about a month from now, perhaps in our season review. Of well, the, we of could season. do it when it airs on Sci-Fi. There you go. You're a smart yeah. man. I'm curious... curious. <laughs> For those that had read the book, if there was anything in the book that wasn't in the televised story, like oh, I, and, and and as you're watching it, perhaps you're going through your mind, oh, I wish they had included this element that was from the book that's not here, because obviously there's time constraints. Even if you were trying to do a, a, a straight off adaptation of a book, you can't put everything in a book in a in a like in a two-hour movie either. They always have to leave things out, and I'm wondering if that's if that's the case here or not. Well, the thing I. The, book the thing I seem to remember the most about the the book is the the companion part is what's different the most. Uh, the character Benny is a lot different than Martha, and I think they handled that really really well from what I can remember of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, very good. Thank you, uh, Wes. We I would also like you to plug um, the CIA if you can. Oh yeah, and I'd like to apologize to you, Lewis. I didn't realize when I typed the heading on that that it was like CIA is after Podshock. Yeah, it's so funny. I I log into our website today, and there it is. One of the uh, forum heading uh, subject headings titles is um, CIA after Podshock. I'm like, they all. <laughs> We've been. What, what is the Celestial Intervention Agency want to, with us? <laughs> yeah. I know. Hmm. Maybe we've talked well, about something they don't want us to talk about yet. Um, basically, we're calling it kind of like a Doctor Who pot shop open, open forum where we're going to submit a topic that's not necessarily has to do with what we're talking about here right now, because quite honestly, I think we covered everything. So my, my topic today is how did you get involved with Doctor Who, who was your first Doctor, and are they your favorite one? So after this show is over, come on over to um, 30659. And, and that's on TalkShoe, just like we are right now. Yeah, TalkShoe. Live podcast. No, that's and okay. Anyone's invited to come in. We had a pretty good discussion once we got going last week. Getting going is the hardest part. But we talked about, and we didn't talk just about Doctor Who. We talked about, actually, the topic last week was how, in the current climate of American television, do we think Doctor Who would have ever succeeded on one of the four networks? And I think the consensus was no. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, Take a listen to that, but please, please stop by and, and hear hear what we have to say because I'm I'm hoping it'll be interesting. Cool. Okay. Well, Doctor Who would have <laughs> succeeded on one of the four networks if it was a reality show. That's true. Put <laughs> you out of the shortest. Perhaps there's some kind of musical contest involved. Right. <laughs> and again, very few good programs succeed on network television. That is very <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah, well, getting, the, the, getting them the, on is one thing; keeping them on is another thing. Right. I mean, 
outside of afternoon soap operas, there's nothing that can, that has the longevity of Doctor Who on American television. You know, as far as dramas go. Yeah, I was going to say maybe the nightly news. <laughs> well, that's not as go. I think Lawrence Welk was there for a while, but then again, it was PBS too, so... And that's not a drama. <laughs> yeah. But it was a musical reality. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't originally PBS. I think it was network originally. Yeah, it probably right. was. All right, well, thank you, Wes. Cool. No Thanks, problem. All right, we're going to go to the next one in the queue, which I believe is Dave. Dave! Hey, Dave! Hey, Luis. Hey, everyone. Uh, uh, it sounds like you're driving while you're talking to us. Oh, sorry. Is the sound off again? No, it's okay. Well, Dave, first, I want to I say thank you so much for the package. I got it quicker than if I would have mailed something from one part of Long Island to another. Oh, excellent. Have and, uh, to look at... I, I haven't yet. No, it's holiday weekend here in uh, in uh, the United States. So it's uh, Memorial Day weekend here in the U.S. And and in that note, in that uh, I want to say a nod to uh, servicemen and women around the world who may be tuning in, uh, as, you know, whether they're from the states or from the U.K. or anywhere around the world, that we appreciate them and, uh, and that uh, we're thinking of them on Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Well said. Dave, uh, I know you're a regular listener here and a regular uh, call-in um, feedback person here. Contributor. <laughs> Contributor, thank you. And uh, But remind our listeners uh, where you're calling from. Well, at least you didn't call me a senior member. Um, from Hyde, Manchester, England. Uh, good to have you back on the show, Dave. So what do you think right. of human nature? Well, uh, it's going to be a love one today, isn't it, really? Because uh, I'm with everyone else on this. I thought it was a definitely uh, the most complete... I mean, this is obviously silly to say because it was the first of a two-parter. But, I mean, complete in, in a different sense in terms of the production values, the casting, the acting. I thought David Tennant uh, was excellent. Um, um, somebody commented, I think... Martin being you, Lewis, about his falling down the stairs. But I thought that was great. Here we have the doctors for aliens save the world, but uh, a girl asking him to a dance and he's backing away uh, and falls and makes a prat of himself. I mean, yeah, no, that, I, thought that, I thought that was excellent. Yeah, no, I didn't have um, a problem with that. That was fine. Oh, right. Yeah. And Smith. Um, so. I have to think long and hard to even think of any possible flaws. I didn't particularly like the alien gums. They looked like they'd, uh, the actors had taken their lobster dinners on set, and uh, they just looked like green lobsters to me. But um, the rest of the show was all excellent. All the casting was great. Um, it worked reasonably well. I like the idea of the scarecrows, um, because, as they said, the family of blood... They only needed a shape to inhabit. They didn't actually need uh, a body, or um, it didn't have to possess someone. And obviously, the scarecrows uh, had the useful appendages of arms and legs, which made them uh, much more useful as the henchmen. I like the um, the moment in the woods where the um, spaceship is is hidden. That was a sort of a Star Trek four moment for me, where. Um, the girl follows um, uh, Captain Kirk into the park where he, uh, she sa- he says that's where he's living. 
and and the spaceship is hidden there, except mm-hmm. for the footprint, except for the footprint on the grass. Uh, so I thought that worked really well. Um, I loved the fact that we have a cliffhanger, with it being a two-parter. But I was a little bit upset. I almost thought that they could have ended without a trailer this week, because the trailer we see. Uh, the two girls that he's supposed to make the the life and death choice of, both alive. Yeah. In the in the next episode. And well, they, they did put the trailer after the credits. I think they do that no. deliberately now when it's a two parter and and they don't want to give anything away. They, they the the trailer is now after the credits, so you have time to tune off, tune out rather. Well, that's certainly true, and I suppose in this country anyway, in the UK, most people would be switching over to BBC Three then for the confidential that follows immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't got much else to say because it's great, but I did have one idea. I'm not usually very good at having ideas, but um, you know that the May offer on the forum, uh, this is uh, the Gallifreyan Embassy forum I'm talking about to our general listeners. Um, we have the offer on for the, um, the magazine for this month. And mm-hmm. I put a, a, a thing about whether anybody else was going to come up with an offer for June, uh, that that could be then uh, something that they could bid for. Well, I thought, if anybody's got a copy of the Human Nature book, mm-hmm. it's going to be so difficult to get. If anybody's got a spare copy, or a copy that they would be willing to offer up, that would make an ideal um, uh, thing to for people to bid on. Yeah, absolutely. So if, uh, if uh, people on the Gallifrey Forum are listening to this podcast either live now or later and they've got a copy of that or maybe a spare copy or maybe they even come across one in a second hand bookshop uh, try it on the forum and perhaps put that forward uh, for a prize well Dave thank you for your efforts as always to you know help out the podcast and um, the organization with your efforts with you know the auctioning on our, on our website and Dave I want to uh, make a nod I, I like the brought up Star Trek IV of the ship being hidden. Going one step further than that, uh, Shada, where uh, yeah, Shada. the spaceship was well. visible and, and hidden in the park. Right, yeah. But, um, no, that was great. Um, so I, I, wanna, I want Merlin to have his say now, because we've been waiting a few weeks for him to come on and uh, voice his opinions. So I'll bow out now, and uh, thanks a lot, guys. Five oh. hardest grown. I was just going to ask you, Dave. <laughs> yeah, and I'm expecting a dog in the background to, to add his five as well. Absolutely great. <laughs> Thank you once again, Dave. Thanks, All right. Dave. Bye, Dave. everyone. Thanks. Okay, I'll see you on the forum. Okay, and as Dave indicated, our next one up here is Mike, also known as Merlin. Hey, Mike. Good day, all. Good day. Where are you calling from? Well, McKinney. Calling from home. Uh, and where is home? Uh, McKinney, Texas. Oh, okay. Thanks. Uh, so, what? You, your human nature um, appraisal? Kind of loath <laughs> as I am to, to rate a two-parter on the first instance after the Dalek debacle we went through. I actually am confident enough to give this one a five. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> As James would say, good man. <laughs> when Dave was talking about the Star Trek IV moment, I, I, it, when I saw the scene immediately, I thought it was a nod to Shada. Because yeah. Baker bumped into it, you know, nose first. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, my only gripe with it is, and you know, it's been mentioned in the in the chat client here, but Baines, which was Mr. Harry Lloyd, I thought was a little bit wooden. He acted like a puppet until he got possessed, and then he was taken over by General Melchett out of Black Outer Goes Forth. I don't know what was up with that. <laughs> I'm glad you agree, James. <laughs> <laughs> Love Thomas Stankster in this. I think he is going to be a big, big actor coming up. I mean, he he was great in Love Actually. He did wonderful in this. Good to see him around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The principals did a wonderful job. That uh, Baines was the only gripe I had with it. It was wonderful. Oh, that is well. I think we all pretty much really like the character of Baines, so. It's good to have someone to be kind of the Simon Cowell, and it's kind of funny that, uh, <laughs> that that's the only gripe people can have with it is that they didn't particularly like one character out of a huge cast. And it, what was just fantastic, I think, um, in parallel to 42, here you had real character development, and you could appreciate oh, it, yeah. characters, and you felt an affinity to them, and... Uh, Instead of apathy, which is just what you felt with 42, I think. So yeah. A, I think that they can, they've shown that you can um, sort of develop characters in only one episode and kill them off. Um, although I guess it, it was quite hard with 42 because there was a heck of a lot of stuff going on. But still, you know, I, I really love the character development in this episode and I think that's important. So even if the only gripe that people can say is that they don't like the character of Baines, which seems to be quite common. Um, other than outside of this uh, this discussion, um, I've seen a few mentions of it on forums and things. But I really enjoyed him, and I thought he was really creepy, which is, is what was oh. necessary. He was definitely creepy, and then he changed into General Melchett. Fair <laughs> 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 do. I think that's quite funny that you mentioned that, but yeah. Uh, um, just a general comment about the Invisible Spaceship and the comparisons to, um, you know, the Voyage Home, Star Trek The Voyage Home, and also to Shatter. Just recently I was uh, watching The Invasion, the Patrick, pa- the Patrick Troughton story uh, on DVD, and there the TARDIS is invisible as well in the field, and they had to, I hope I'm not giving anything away, but at the end of um, the conclusion of the story, uh, the, the unit people drove them out, the TARDIS crew out to an open field where they had to discover the invisible TARDIS, and it just reminded me again, uh, you know, of the even though it took place obviously well well before Star Trek's The Voyage Home and and Shatter, it, it it reminded me of that as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, um, well, thank you, Mike, also known as Merlin. Um, no problem. We always enjoy your feedback and your participation in the forums as well. Good to have you on the live show. Finally, you've been a regular listener, and um, I know Dave's been. <laughs> well, nudging you on to uh, to participate in our live feedback section here, so I'm glad you it, it took a few episodes and you're finally here. When the kids aren't running around in circles in the house, and you know the noise level is my chief problem here. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we have uh, another person waiting in the queue, so we're going to go to him. Thanks again, Mike. Cheers, Mike. Next one up here is um is Le- uh, Lebit. Lebedekin? I'm not sure if I got the name right. Hello. Hello. Where are you calling Hello. Uh, Israel. Oh, very good. Israel. 
Cool. The, uh, from what was it? Judean Hills. Oh, my first name, my, my last name was that kid. My first name's Svi. And run that by us again? My, my first name is equally strange as my last name. It's Svi. Okay, well, welcome to Doctor Who Pachak Live. Hi. I want to just say, like with everybody else, I'm giving a good five Tardis groans, a fabulous story. Ah, good stuff. And if you want to read it, you can go to the BBC website. They have it as one of their e-books. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah, so you can read it at, uh, at your leisure. I think they might have taken it off for a couple of weeks while the story is being shown. Okay. But it's, uh, yeah, so you don't have to go through eBay. My, my, uh, I, I like Bane as well. For, as somebody mentioned it before, I thought it, thought it was fabulously creepy. Yeah. The mm-hmm. only thing with the book that I, I missed, there's one part, and I really can't remember what it was, but they had a, uh, they had to keep all the villagers uh, in the village, and so the aliens put out a, um, a fear shield, and they're trying to decide what shield to put put around the village, and one says, oh, let's use this uh, heat shield, which is the same as the one from Demons. And they use the yeah they use a fear shield instead. So when everybody gets to the edge of the village, they get terrified and run back to the village. That is interesting. So, <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the only part of it. The, my only other minor quibble was the whole business with the uh, cricket ball. I I I I don't know why I didn't just call over to the woman and say stop. Well, that would be the The piano is going to kill your baby and you. Yeah, I'm, I saw that scene, and I really didn't think he was consciously thinking about it. I think it was more of a knee-jerk reaction, like the doctor within him was somehow bringing it out and doing it, and it wasn't so much John Smith consciously thinking, how am I going to stop right. this from happening? I, I, I think it was more of a um, subconscious thing that just took him over, and it's something like something like the doctor might do. Right, right. I just thought it would be easy to say, stop. But but then I felt bad when I saw Confidential, when I saw how much trouble they put into making that scene. <laughs> <laughs> and also, of course, um, Jamie Irvin has just mentioned in the chat, of course, it, it, if he had just said stop, it wouldn't have shown his uh, his heroism, which is, of course, what he was going right, on exactly. about. <laughs> but never mind. But, yeah, so this week I gave it a good five title scores, but next week I think it's going to be a hundred times better. Well, yeah. Can't wait. Well, yeah, I think next week's going to make this week look, look, look like the crotons. <laughs> That's That's great. Great. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much. Bye. Take care. Cheers. All right, well, um, any other um, final wrap-up on human nature? I think we've kind of almost done it to death, haven't we? <laughs> yes. So um, I, I know some... There was uh, someone on our forums that asked um, us our opinions, being that it was the 30th anniversary of Star Wars, and it's the show's gone on too long to really give our comments about that. But we do want to wish those that are fans um, happy anniversary. Yeah, years yeah. ago this weekend. Yeah, I know Ken's a big fan, so um, and it looked like people had an awful lot of fun in there. Yeah, life. same here. I was. Um, <laughs> I won't say how old I was, but yes, I was there. A wee um, lad. I was a lad. Um, a young chap. Just a like young now. chap. I was a little time tot, waiting online, and um, <laughs> when that Star Destroyer went overhead, I knew it. At that point, I'm like, I was sold. I was sold. <laughs> All right. Well, I, you know what? Maybe I uh, Ken and I... 
and 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 James as well will do a spin-off podcast on on just that and um is this just like yeah, sure. the, just like the Blake 7, seven one that will never <laughs> happen <laughs> yeah we're, we're going to <laughs> we're, we're going to do the Blake 7 one. We, we revisited the idea and, and maybe doing it as a live talk cast, you know, where there's no post-production work. Maybe we could do it, you know, in, in that format. Like, yeah, you know, but that's just this episode. Yeah. Alrighty, so... And now that you have the Blake 7 audios, you have something to talk about. Yeah, yeah. that's right. You know what? I've fallen behind on that. <laughs> <laughs> really? Honey, you've you fallen behind on something? I find that hard to believe. Yeah. yeah uh, can we somehow manage to get more hours in a day, please? Someone yeah, invent nice, something? We're preaching to the choir there at the moment, mate. But um, I have to say, before we go, please, please, can we have some more ladies coming on to talk on the show? <laughs> Um, it's an equal opportunity they, podcast, so um, yeah. Well, we've we've had uh, one last on, I think Diane last week, and I think she's even uh, listening in the wings today. Mm-hmm. It'd be really nice to have some ladies on the show. We need more female voices on Podshock. It just makes us sound like we're a load of losers here <laughs> without any girls on board. Where are the women? Well, speak for yourself, James. <laughs> exactly, but don't make well, me put my girlfriends am... on here to talk about Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm really stoked for next week's live pod shock because you know that it's going to be buzzing next week, no matter what happens uh, in yeah, part that's two. True. We are going to have one hell of an episode next week. There, there wasn't any buzzing this week? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, there was buzzing. <laughs> you should have been at my barbecue last night. <laughs> I don't want to know well, about mosquitoes and gnats. Yeah, mosquitoes don't count. <laughs> So I, I believe we all gave it five TARDIS groans. Not one. Well, I know Taras doesn't give groans, but he his appraisal kind of equates to five TARDIS groans. So yeah, um, I think we're all in sync, um, and I don't mean the group. <laughs> <laughs> God, that would be terrible. <laughs> all righty. So um, I want to uh, wish everyone well until next week, and even after next week, I'm still extending that well wishes. Uh, when we return next week, we'll be reviewing The Family of Blood, which is the conclusion of this week's story, and we're looking forward to it. So come back again next week, and thank you everyone that contributed to today's podcast, and uh, goes without say, that's uh, Ken, James, Darth, um, Mike, uh, Taras, and our uh, all the people that did our feedback that contributed there, Dave, um, Raul, um, Lebek, um, I'm sorry, um, Lebekin and um, the other Mike. Everyone, anyway. So cheers, everyone. Sorry. Thanks everybody yeah. for participating. Yeah, cheers, guys. I'll see you all next week. Fingers crossed. Okay. Bye. You've been listening to Doctor Who Podshock Live by the fan-run Gallifreyan Embassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey. 
Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Pachak is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Pachak Live. You can email us at feedback at pachak.net. <laughs>